total losses uh, could have been record-setting. Wow. Okay. The insurance industry as a whole, you know, was afraid of what Ian could be. Mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of parallels to Hurricane Irma back in 2017. Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast, where we tour the property market to investigate how economics, climate change, governmental policies, and technology affect everyday life. I am your host, May Claire Bolton Smith, and I'm just as curious as you are about everything that happens in our industry. Before Hurricane Ian made landfall in southwest Florida in late September 2022, the Florida property insurance market was already stressed. Homeowners had some of the highest premiums in the country, and private insurers were either pulling out of the market or driven to insolvency. Then Hurricane Ian made landfall. At the time, CoreLogic estimated this would be the costliest Florida storm since Hurricane Andrew. Estimates showed that insured wind and flood losses to residential and commercial properties were expected to be between $31 and $53 billion. This includes losses to both private flood insurers and the National Flood Insurance Program, or NFIP. While the full picture is still coming into focus, a few trends have emerged for reported claims, losses, and damage resulting from the storm. So to talk about what we have seen in the last six months since Hurricane Ian made landfall, the state of the Florida insurance landscape, and where the insurance market may go from here, we've invited back CoreLogic's Senior Catastrophe Response Manager, John Schneer. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be back. Okay, so it's been a while since you've been here. You were last on episode 45, which we recorded really in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Ian when it hit Florida in September of 2022. But it's been a while. So can you just remind our listeners about what you do here at CoreLogic? Yeah, of course. So uh, like you said, I manage the uh, event response uh, program here at CoreLogic. So in the aftermath of any major catastrophic event, whether that be something like Hurricane Ian or earthquakes in Turkey. Uh, mm. As a modeling company, we will release uh, model information um, uh, to our clients or to the general public. So it's my job sort of to manage that whole process, uh, coordinating the internal stakeholders, a lot of the writing, making sure our message is out there so that everyone can see it and read it. Great. Okay. Well, we're happy to revisit this topic with you. So I'm sure everyone remembers Hurricane Ian since the storm made landfall. It was just a little over six months ago now. So can you just do a little bit of a recap on why this storm was such a big deal, both in terms of the damage that we saw and the impact on the Florida insurance industry? Hi, everyone. I'm Erica Stanley. I'll be replacing our facts guru, Katia, for the remainder of the season. But don't worry, not much is going to change. May Claire is still going to be hosting our conversations with experts, and I'm still going to provide clarifications as well as economic trend insights to make sure that you know what is happening with the property market. Before John reminds us why this storm made headlines last year, we wanted to ask our listeners to tell us their stories about Hurricane Ian and their experiences with insurance in the aftermath. You can leave a comment on our social media using the handle at CoreLogic on Facebook and LinkedIn or at CoreLogic Inc. on Twitter and Instagram. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. But now, let's get back to May Claire and John. Of course, yeah. So uh, Ian made landfall uh, in southwest Florida near Fort Myers uh, back on September 28th as a high-grade Category 4 hurricane uh, with maximum sustained wind speeds around 150 miles per hour, but gusts uh, higher than that were recorded. Mm. Uh, the wind was only really part of the story, though. Uh, due to Ian's nature, like the size of it, how far it reached, and where it made landfall, the coastal flooding, a.k.a. storm surge, was catastrophic. Uh, and we saw storm surge right. depths exceeding 10 feet in some areas along the coast. So, you know, there was a high 
uh, potential for destruction based on the, the floodwaters. Um, if we combine that with the fact that coastal exposure in Florida is growing, both in terms of the number of new constructions and value as well, the total losses uh, could have been record-setting. Wow. Okay. The insurance industry as a whole, you know, was afraid of what Ian could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of parallels to Hurricane Irma back in 2017. I'm sure you remember that oh, one. right. Yep. So, I mean, different landfall locations, but a similar category. Uh, and both were very large storms in terms of how big they were, their reach, which was worrisome because primary carriers, reinsurers are still feeling the effects of Irma six years later. Uh, delayed claims, litigation, costs associated with litigation means that insurers and reinsurers are still paying for right. Irma several times over, uh, even years after the event. So people were afraid that when Ian made landfall, uh, and the, you know that was going to happen again, and they'd be paying for it year after year. Right. Many of these carriers aren't afraid of paying for an event like Ian or Irma, but they don't and can't pay for it year after year. Right. Yep. So you combine all that, record level inflation for when it comes to restoration materials and labor. Uh, I mean, claims were going to be more expensive, shrinking reinsurance capacity. Uh, it meant that Ian could have been, uh, you know, close to um, a Hurricane Andrew-like loss of it. Right. Okay, so there's a couple things I want to dive into there. I, I really want to talk about this Florida insurance landscape. Um, the reinsurance market was really impacted and continues to be impacted by these events. But if we look specifically at Florida, uh, you know, before Ian hit, the AP News reported that over a dozen companies had stopped writing new policies in Florida and that average insurance premiums were rising at triple the rate of the national average. So this is before Ian hit. So where are we now? Has the, has the, has the situation gotten worse or have companies just pulled out of Florida? Just, you know, thinking of first there was Irma and then there was Ian, there's smaller storms that came in as well. Like wh- where is the state of the landscape of the Florida insurance market right now? Yeah, no, it's a great question, um, and it's one that a lot of people uh, are interested in working on um, constantly. Yeah, so in the past six or so years, we've had quite a bit of activity, uh, hurricane activity in um, you know the North Atlantic and in Florida, uh, going back to uh, you know Irma mm-hmm. Maria back in 2017, yeah. all the hurricanes since, um, and it has caused a lot of insurers to either be driven to insolvency, basically can't pay off the claims, so they have to go out of business, essentially, Mm -hmm. um, or pulling out of the market where they're just no longer writing policies for uh, wind um, or or rain in Florida, which is leaving homeowners with fewer options uh, and usually having to go to the state-backed insurance program, Citizens. Um, Hopefully, the situation is going to be getting better. So there have been a number of recent legislative changes in Florida made back in May of 2022 and again at the very end of 22 in December. that were made, the, the second round made in the wake of Ian, um, that are hoped to help the insurance industry in Florida begin to recover. The three Senate bills John is referring to were passed in 2022 in our Florida Senate bills 2D, 4D, and 2A. Senate Bill 2D came to the Senate floor with the idea to ease rising insurance costs, reduce quote unquote frivolous litigation, and provide more transparency throughout the claims process. Senate Bill 4D pertains to condos and co-op buildings and requires these structures to undergo 10-year milestone inspections, maintain reserve funding, and regularly review these reserves. Senate Bill 2A reinforces and clarifies the concepts laid out in Senate Bill 2D and 4D and aims to incentivize insurance carriers to offer policies in Florida by reducing the amount of time policyholders have to submit a claim to 12 months 
eliminating one-way attorney fees and scrapping the assignment of benefits, a tactic where a homeowner signs over insurance benefits to a third party like a contractor to deal with a carrier directly. Yeah, that's great because it really is the the impact on the homeowner is really the the really unfortunate part of all of this is them not having an option when they, I mean, we need insurance on our homes knowing that these events will continue to happen. Yeah, exactly. And and hopefully, you know, like I said, it's, it's the homeowners who are having to pay these incredibly high premiums, but it's not like um, insurers are uh, intentionally making their life difficult. Mm. The pressure mm-hmm. is on them, right? They can't afford to pay out the number of claims right. and the severity of the claims that they're seeing. They don't have reinsurance. No, there's no reinsurance capacity for them. Reinsurers don't see this as a profitable business. Right. I know it seems kind of harsh to say, but it's still a business. And if it's not profitable, they're not going to provide reinsurance capacity. Right. Insurers can't get that. It gets passed on to the homeowners in terms of premium increases or deductible increases. Right. Yeah. So, a lot of the bills that the Florida Senate passed um, back in May were sort of aimed to either increase capacity, reinsurance capacity, by creating essentially a new layer of reinsurance that insurers could adopt, and to reduce the factors that are leading to inflated claims, which is not because the damage was so bad. It's mm. the the bad apples, mm-hmm. right? It's the people who are making uh, fraudulent claims right. or the yeah. litigation costs. So, right, you, you make a claim, your insurer says, no, that's not, um, you know, this or your policy doesn't apply. And then you get into a lawsuit. And then insurers, you know, would have to pay the litigation fees. They have to pay for, you know, obviously their own uh, teams, but they have to pay for the litigation fees for the uh, plaintiffs as well. And that is really what has inflated the Hurricane Irma losses, mm. you know, even three years after the event. Uh, loss creep has been one of the biggest issues. And the bill changes are hoping to mitigate that aspect of it so that insurers can insure because they can properly model hurricane risk. Um, so they're just hoping that the sort of loss adjustment expenses are minimized. Right. Okay. Speaking of ensuring value of property investments, it's that time again. Grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We're going to do the numbers in the housing market. Here's what you need to know. Years of climbing prices and high interest rates have not yet eroded home equity in the U.S. Homeowner equity in the U.S. continued its gains in Q4 of 2022. Homeowners with mortgages, which is about 63% of all properties, saw their equity increase by 7.3% between the fourth quarter of 2021 and the fourth quarter of 2022. That increase translates into $1 trillion in equity gains over the course of the year. Florida, Hawaii, and New Jersey experienced the largest average equity gains. During the same period, negative equity also decreased by 2%. However, if we look at the negative equity trends between Q3 and Q4 of 2022, the total number of mortgage residential properties with negative equity increased by 6%. Idaho, Washington, California, Utah, and Washington, D.C. saw annual equity losses. And that's the SIP. See you next time. Okay, so something you mentioned a little bit that I I just do want to... um offer a clarification to you because people may not be familiar with reinsurance. So reinsurance essentially is insurance for insurers. So can you talk a little bit about how this storm, like, do we know yet about how, has there been an impact on the reinsurance market? It's a good question. And I mean, at a high level, it's a little too early to say for sure. Okay, Um, We have seen a number of stories about certain carriers who have 
uh, either dipped into their reinsurance towers or some of them have completely wiped through their insurance towers. Um, so in some cases, mm. uh, yes, reinsurers have been impacted and they've had losses because of Hurricane Ian, um, which is not a bad thing. That's the reason you have reinsurance. So in that sense, you know, it's actually worked out pretty well. Right. Now, we don't know the full extent. Um, that'll be remain to be seen as, you know, claims are closed mm-hmm. and the loss totals for individual carriers increase. Um, but hopefully uh, the legislative changes I mentioned earlier, uh, the, the, the effect of those will be that the uh, losses to the primary carriers are within reason and insurers can start writing more mm-hmm. reinsurance policies to carriers in Florida more insurers can come back to Florida, right. and all okay. is good. Okay. So, you know, for primary carriers, yeah, some have dipped in to the reinsurance uh, towers. Now, the National Flood Insurance Program, uh, they also pay for reinsurance. Uh, so I saw, as of uh, today, uh, the NFIP, NFIP has paid out about $2.2 billion in claims relating to Ian so far. Wow, okay. Um, they're estimating that their flood losses will be between $3.7 and $5.2 billion. Um, but if they surpass $4 billion, then their reinsur- reinsurance towers trigger. So we don't know if that'll happen yet. Okay. Um, like I said, it's on its way, but yeah. it'll be a while till all those claims are closed. Um, but, you know, there's a possibility some of their reinsurance will trigger. Luckily, yeah. they have reinsurance, so we'll be able to pay those flood claims. I, I want to talk a little bit more about this flood side of things because um, this is a really big deal. And I know in this podcast, we've talked a lot in the past about Hurricane Harvey from 2017. So before Hurricane Ian hit on how the flood losses were so big and so much of the uninsured loss. Um, you know, one thing we've talked about, too, is that flood is not part of a standard homeowner's insurance policy here in the U.S. And only if you are living in what is designed as a special flood hazard area or an SFHA as defined by FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And if you have a federally backed mortgage, you need to have flood insurance. If you don't live in a special flood hazard area, or if you don't have a mortgage, then you're not required to have flood insurance at all. But we've seen that flooding does not just happen in these areas that are designated as a 100-year flood zone. Um, So there ends up being a lot of people without flood insurance that have a lot of flood damage. So I guess you talked about NFIP, the National Flood Insurance Program. What are we seeing? Like, are there any trends in terms of NFIP, in terms of flood damage in general, like both those that are claim those that are paid by NFIP versus you know flood that's maybe outside of NFIP. Like, are we seeing any sort of patterns, or what have we seen from a flood perspective? Next week, we'll pick up in part two to talk about what trends are developing around claims made under the National Flood Insurance Program. However, you can get a primer on what the federal government has updated as part of its flood insurance risk rating system in episode thirty-one. A flood of change comes with FEMA's risk rating two point We'll pick back up next week. See you there. Thank you for joining me today on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our new facts guru Erica Stanley, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation. Mm-hmm.